0: I had a, a couple of people ask me every now and again, actually, whenever um, Linda's not on the front row, where's Linda? Is she, is she avoiding church or something today? Do you guys have a fight? And sometimes we do have a fight, but it wasn't today. But, uh, but Linda's often, when she's not here, she's upstairs doing the King's Kids ministry, and so that's where she is. I just want to also mention that when Nick and Kathy come here, we are convinced that the scripture is true, and when it says in Ephesians 4 that he's given gifts for the building up of the church, we believe those gifts are still for us today. Apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And, uh, and obviously when somebody comes, they might have a, um, different aspects of those gifts to come through. But, but one of um, the gifts that I think um, uh, Nick walks in is, is, is a prophetic gift. And I do think that this is going to be a very significant time for us who we are together as Well of Life Church and therefore it will have an impact on you and your family as well. And so I going to ask you to really just set a priority on that time okay good and don't be quiet in the meeting today okay like I'm, I'm all good for feedback even negative feedback you can give it to me while I'm preaching I can take it whatever it is but just iterate and the reason why is because you know what what the word amen means it means so be it which means like oh I want that like let that be true in my life it's like you, sh- you actually are laying a hold of something and there's, there's something there's a faith expression in doing it and so, um, feel free to shout out amen whenever you want to during the preach, okay? Amen. <laughs> and then when you go to India or Zimbabwe, you can just say hallelujah and you get an automatic amen in response. And if you shout amen, you get an automatic hallelujah in response. And so, do you want to practice? No, I'm joking. Um, last week, I was in Sri Lanka on the Sunday morning. We, our team split into three different teams. We ministered in um, three different churches around the Neuralia area. I was in Kotagala. And uh, just before the service, I actually had the privilege of going down to a river and baptizing four people, um, a, a young Buddhist couple um, and two young kids that had given their life to the Lord. Amen. It's wonderful. We'll give the Lord a hand for that. And it wasn't us that led them to the Lord. It was the work of the church that is planted there. This young couple had been trying to have children for years. They came, eventually came to the church and asked them if they would pray for them. They prayed for them, they fell pregnant, and then they began their journey of salvation. And their little baby was there when, when they were being baptized in that uh, little dirty little river that I climbed into. I, um, I had a few sores in my body still from the motorbike crash that happened before. And I was praying, Lord, please don't let any gunk get into these things as I baptize your people. And it seems to, the prayer seems to have worked. But um, I, I gave a little bit of feedback in the video last week, but it was truly um, an extraordinary time. Um, every time we go on one of these trips, they're different because the, the, the people that come on them are different, and they bring a different element, but also because God's doing different things at different moments. And so um, we had about five or six guys coming from the U.S., um, and I, my sense is that their hearts were stirred for the nations, and it's one of the reasons we invite you to come. Like Sometimes we can talk about the nations and about the gospel going to the nations, and it makes sense here, like, like you don't disagree but it hasn't sunk from here to here in your heart, where it becomes something that grips you for the rest of your life, and, and becomes a part of how a part of how you express your faith, and your journey with God as well, and so we want to invite you, um, in a couple of weeks time, Noel, Christian, and myself are heading to Pakistan for just a quick three days, I think, we leave on the Tuesday night, get back on the Friday, the next month we're going to visit um, Kenneth and Chisholm, and the church they've planted in Nigeria, I'm still trying to plan a trip into India to get to Surendra and so as these trips come up we'll put them on the on the shelf over there the information and you can see like when they're taking place who's leading the team what sort of costs will be involved what kind of ministry will take place and the, and if you're saying i wonder if i can go on this and um, the answer is yes you can go on it okay so at least ask if you can't go then there might be a reason why because it's not safe or whatever it is and we're just doing a look see first but Generally speaking, we'd love to have you come along. Does that make sense? Good. So I am am continuing this morning in our series on worship and um, how good was worship this morning. It's so wonderful to to just give ourselves to God in that way. And the title of the preach this morning is is to worship God in spirit and in truth. And it comes from John chapter 4. And so I want to read a couple of verses. We'll unpack it a bit this morning. John 4, I'm going to read verses 21 to 24 from the New Living Translation. And it says... Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about Him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him in this way, for God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I guess if we're doing a, a series on worship, it was inevitable that we would come to this text because it's such an important text on it. And yet, in some ways, it's it's quite an unusual text because it hardly describes to us what worship might look like on a Sunday morning. Hey, the setting of a, a a lady by a dusty well in some backwater part of the world. It's hardly the place that comes to your mind when you think Sunday worship or even your own personal worship. And, um, and that dissonance only exists because for many of us, we got saved a long time ago. And so when we come on a Sunday to church... We're not coming fresh off having met Christ for the first time, fresh off having our sins forgiven, fresh having the guilt removed, and, and beginning to discover these wonders about the God that loves us. That took place some time ago, and now we're journeying in our faith, and, and we 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 are in the danger of becoming somewhat familiar, or at least separating our salvation from the act of worship that takes place on a Sunday morning. But worship is the fragrance that comes from the garden that is watered by the river that flows from God. And so this, the garden, we are the garden, and this fragrance comes from our life, but only because the waters of salvation flow not just once, but continually into our lives and send that back to God. And so the the description of the kind of worship that God wants, to worship in spirit and in truth, is only possible in the light of the gospel, only makes sense in the light of the gospel. So many of you will know about the story between the Samaritan woman and, uh, and uh, Jesus because you've read your Bible so many times and especially you've read the gospel so many times that, like John chapter 4, you're almost not off by heart, you know. But I want to give you a little bit of setting just in case. Um, so you'll remember when we did the series on Hosea that this section of, of Israel was what was called the northern kingdom. When the kingdom split into two, this section was the northern kingdom they, um, they separated themselves from the southern kingdom, and obviously Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom, and so set up their own place of worship in the northern kingdom, which is on Mount Gerizim, which is where they built this temple. They, were, they began to drift away from the worship of Yahweh and compromise their worship. And then um, finally God's judgment came upon them, and Assyria swept in from the north and overthrew the nation in 722 BC. And many of the, the Jews that lived there were scattered amongst the nations and, and their identity to break up their identity. There was a Syrian kind of geopolitical policy. We don't want any other people group to remain together. And, the Jew, and others were settled back into that area of Israel. And so there was a mixing of the bloodline. So there had been a compromise of worship. Now there was a compromise of bloodline. And the Samaritans were hated by the Jews because we understand that God had called them to have this pure bloodline, that it was, it was a, the people of God. And they hated him so much that actually 100 years before Christ came, around about 100 years, um, there was a guy that led a, an invasion and actually broke and burned down the temple that was on that mountain. And so when, when Jesus comes to this moment, this is, this is not an, the Jews actually wouldn't even normally travel through Samaria. They, they would normally take the longer route around it. But Jesus intentionally went through Samaria and, uh, because he wanted to meet up with this woman. And we've got this, this encounter now between a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman, between the king of kings, as we, as we know him, of course, and the outcast of outcasts. This woman is, she's coming to collect water, as we'll see in a video I'm going to show you in a second, in the heat of the day, because she's rejected by our own people, because they regard her as, as immoral, as a divorcee, and she's rejected um, by, um, because she's a woman, she can't be speaking with a man, and she's rejected again because she's a Samaritan who's outside the family of Jews. And, uh, and I, I saw this video the other day, and I, like, um, I'm not a, I haven't watched all of the Chosen, but there are, there are some moments that these guys get unbelievably well. I think I would love to meet this woman that played Samaritan Woman. There was such an anointing on it. Watch it now, and then I'm going to talk about it a bit more. Thanks, Josh.
1: Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me?
2: That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman.
1: I'm sorry. I should have said please.
2: You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here.
1: Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah,
2: well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me.
1: Why won't they be seen with you?
2: Long story.
1: I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it.
2: Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you?
1: You were a woman of purity, who was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man.
0: (laughs) You will see the end of it, just now. First thing Jesus says, um, that struck me in this passage was, the hour is coming, in verse 21, and then verse 23 he repeats it again, the hour is coming and now is here. You see, whenever the gospel intersects our life, it comes to challenge the status quo. It always does that in every situation. It brings us to a crisis. And a crisis is a a point in our lives where we have to make difficult decisions. We actually have to make a decision. When you come to a crossroad and it's got a left or right, you can't say, well, I'm going to just keep going the way that I'm going. You have to turn somewhere along the way. And Jesus, like any authentic proclaimer of the word, is bringing this lady, as you can see as he leads her there, to a crisis of faith. Will you make a decision? He doesn't just want to be kind to her and let her carry on her way. He wants to bring her to a point where a decision has to be made. And he's actually living out exactly what he said in that passage. The Father is looking for those that will worship in this way. He's not looking like, I hope there's somebody out there. He's looking like a pursuer, like a hunter to come after us, to find us and draw us into that place. He took the first step. He is, he's the one that sent his son. He sent Jesus to Sam- Samaria at that day, at that world, at that hour, to meet that woman so that she would hear the gospel. And the, and the gospel comes to disrupt our status quo. It it has to. It comes to disrupt those of us that have become familiar with the story of Jesus, familiar of His gospel reality in our lives. And it comes to disrupt the status of the outsider as well. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've come out today and like all this weird Christian stuff that people do, what are they eating Little pieces of bread and drinking out of a little cup for what is this all about? Gets even worse when we tell you that's the body and the blood of Jesus. And you're like, what is going on in this place? And they use these words and everyone walks around acting like they're so happy. And it can't be possible because no one can be that happy all the time. But the, con- the gospel comes to confront us both and lead us to the place where we must make a decision. And she says to him, I love the way they, they, they script this out in this passage. to so prove it. Prove it then. And he says, he says go fetch your husband. And, and, and he knows something that he can't possibly know in the natural. God knows our, our deepest secrets. He knows everything that goes on in our lives. And she responds and she says, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. I, I, I recognize there is something extraordinary about you. But then she pushes back again. She, she's been rejected and rejected. She knows she's outside. For most people, the gospel comes not to remind them that they're outside, because they already know that. The gospel comes to let them know that there's a way in to God. And she says, you know what? Like even if even if it was true, like like I can't worship there. I'm on the outside. There's no way for me to come in. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't defend the mountain. You know what though? You actually have to just come to Jerusalem, like. Pay your money and get on a donkey and get across to Jerusalem and sort your stuff out. Get into the temple. He doesn't do that. He doesn't defend the mountain or the temple. In, um, uh, somebody once said that insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. And God is not insane. He is the most rational being that has ever lived. And God isn't trying to force us into the mold of the law which was only put there to show us that no works on our parts can save us. Because of our sinful nature, we never make it. And so God is not asking for more of the same. He's not putting in another religion to compete in the landscape of religions that existed at that time there. He's, he's, he's offering us a way that we can walk in the fullness of what He intends for us without being hamstrung by our own sinfulness. In John chapter 2, there's a scene where Jesus goes into the temple and He tosses the tables over like this of the money lenders. They started to turn religion into a practice of making profit which so often happens and sadly even happens in the church as well and Jesus turned the tables over and they said to him like how come you're doing this by what authority give us a sign to show why what you're doing here and I, I love Jesus' answer in verse 19 he says this is the answer he gives in terms of the sign I will destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up not a new mountain not a new city not a new building But a new person, the Son, has revealed Himself as the one. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When when we say that phrase, to be saved, when we encounter salvation, it means that we inherit eternal life. Like We go from being on a road that will, from this life, lead us into eternal death to being assured of the fact that in this life, after this life, we will encounter the Father and live forever, which is extraordinary. But in this life also, we get access to the Father. We get eternal life that starts not on the day that we die. We get eternal life that starts now. The abundant life that Jesus spoke about in, um, in John chapter 10. And then Jesus goes on and, and he uses this phrase, true worshippers. And I was thinking about like, what is a, you know, what is a false worshipper? Was, was everybody that came before Jesus a false worshipper? Surely David wasn't a false worshipper in, in the Psalms that he wrote and those kind of things. And, um, and I was struck by this, this memory that I had, I think I mentioned this to you, that a few weeks ago I met a guy um, from Abu Dhabi, he was from, um, he's uh, from the UK, but practices another religion, which I'm not going to mention, and I was reading a book um, called Under the Shadow of the Sword or something like that, and, and we started a conversation, and he was a, he's a winsome guy, an intelligent guy, I, was, I was really enjoyed the conversation with him, I could easily be friends with him, whatever, that, that wasn't the issue. And we had quite a long talk together. But as I walked away from Linda, I said to him, um, I would have respected him more if he had told me that I was wrong and that I was lost and that I was condemned. But there is a way of redemption. He was, he, he had, he's grown up in the world that we all grow up in, that is pluralistic and relativistic and, um, and multicultural, and he's become infected by his surroundings so that everything goes. All roads lead to Rome. The last thing anybody wants to do is offend anybody else. No, it's fine. If that's what you believe, it's amazing. He told me in his religion I would be going to heaven. I wanted to say, liar. You don't believe that. You can't believe that. Your, your sacred book doesn't even say that that's what's going to happen. Tell me that I'm wrong, so that I, and then tell me the way of salvation, and then let me share with you Jesus who is, as, as, as Dylan shared earlier, the, the way, the truth, and the life? And he the problem. The more that we know people, personally know people, who don't embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but are sincere in the worship, the more difficult it becomes for us to say that what they're doing is not true worship. And yet Jesus says this. He says God is looking for true worshipers. And there's two And vital truths in this passage that tell us that all roads don't lead to Rome. Have you heard that saying before? All roads lead to Rome, and people say all religions lead to the same God at the end of the day, and that is not the testimony of Scripture. If we're going to be honest and faithful, I I I stood with an atheist and a a Muslim man the other day after my cycle, and I shared the gospel with both of them, and I said, said, um, your way will not lead to eternal life. Jesus is the only way, and I said, I know you don't agree with that, but I'm telling you, this is what I believe, and this is what I believe the Scripture teaches. And we've got to be that real. And Jesus says to her, we worship what we know because salvation is through the Jews. We worship what, what, we, worship what we know. He said, you don't know this God. You don't know the Yahweh, this, this God that you name, but you don't know Him. We know Him because salvation comes to us. It's through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through the tribes of Israel, through the line, the lineage that comes from Judah, from which um, Jesus was supposedly born, and uh, that's where the Messiah comes from. And then Jesus says to her, "I am the Messiah. I'm the one." When you the the, the Messiah means um, the, the 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 anointed one. He was the saviour that was to come, and we know that's true because she goes back to the village after this in the video you'll see in a moment, and says, "Could this be the Christ?" And then they come out and they meet Jesus. He shares. The, the truth of the kingdom with them, they say to him, we believed at first because of what she said, but now we've heard you, we believe ourselves that you are, what is the phrase they use, the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world, and that's what he is. And salvation comes only through the Messiah that was prophesied by the prophets that were sent to Israel, to the Jewish people. And, and Christ alone, this Man who stood by the world was the only one that fulfilled dozens and dozens and dozens of prophecies that came hundreds and even thousands of years before his life. Things that he could have had no hand in orchestrating as a normal human being. And so as, as uh, Dylan read from John 14 this morning, this scripture here, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one has access to the Father. No one can worship the Father. No one can see the Father except through me he's the lens and so true worshipers are those this is the bottom line that have, have accepted have believed in have received christ as lord and savior as master and messiah that's why when we bring people into membership of the church there's only one thing that can restrict a person from being a member in this church and that is that they're not born again and it's not because we're trying to reject you. Like, like we, just wanna, we just recognize we need to go on this journey of salvation with you so that you can come to the place of actually truly being a member, not just of will of life, but of the body of Christ worldwide that he brings us into. It also means, friends, so that we can come in on a Sunday and we can sing and we can, um, we can listen to the word, we can eat the bread and not be a true worshiper. <clears throat> I've the tragic... Um, I was going to say privilege, definitely not a privilege. Responsibility, I guess, at times of meeting with people who have come to me and said, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. And these are people that have raised their hands. These are people that have, that have been regular at church. And just attending a church is not an indicator of what's going on in the heart. And The whole point about what Jesus is saying is it's no longer going to be about externals. It's going to be about internals. And the problem that God faced with the, uh, the, the Jewish people was that on the outside, they look good, man. This is like really in-your-face passage in Isaiah 58 about fasting. So if you're ever thinking about fasting and you think like, like you're, you're so amazing because you fasted for whatever it is. And, um, and then you go, go read this passage. And God, like he lays in. Why don't you just put the next slide up. He says, you can going to read it, what he says there. But what he's basically saying is like, it's good on the outside, but it's devoid of reality. You're a hypocrite. What you're going through the motions, but there's no substance to what you're bringing to me in worship or in fasting. When the pious Pharisee Nicodemus came to Jesus in the, in the dark of the night, and he started asking about various things, Jesus cut straight to the heart of the issue, because worship is always a salvation issue. And said to Nicodemus, you cannot, be, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Nicodemus responds like we often do. Yeah, but how, how can I be physically born again? Must I go into my mother's womb again? Because for him, it was all externals. Like, that's this stuff. It's real. I want to know. I want to be able to taste it and feel it and touch it. And then I know what's going on. And he says, like, like, like you're supposed to be a spiritual leader and you don't understand. This is a work of the Spirit. And so our spirit, which is dead, needs to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit in salvation. So that we, who are created to be spiritual beings, can link and connect with the spiritual God. Spiritual, when it says that God is spirit, it doesn't mean that he's a spirit. It means that it talks about the nature of God. John speaks and he says that God is light. He says that God is love. And he tells us that God is spirit. And so, unlike us, he doesn't have a, a physical being Things that can be touched, like they were created. He is he's not restricted to one place. He, is, um, he, he knows all things and, uh, and is in all places at all times. And in order for us to worship Him, our spirit needs to be born again. I was listening to a preacher by Billy Graham this morning. And he was talking about, he was laying in this thing about you, that you, you need to be born again. Your spirit which is dead needs to be made alive. And um, I'll get into that in a second i just take the next slide up. This is a bit of a crazy slide. Yeah, I was trying to picture in my mind what was going on. I know, I know. It's madness. This is where my mind works. But <clears throat> what I'm trying to show you here is that um, God is looking for those that are His people that have been saved, whose destiny is eternal life. And when we worship Him, when the true believers come to God with gratitude and glory that is His for who He is, number one, like, he deserves the praise because he is, you know, we're holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because he is holy. Holiness speaks of all of God's divine attributes in white, hot intensity. So when we look at him, we see perfect love, perfect righteousness, perfect kindness, perfect mercy, perfect whatever. And that's his holiness. And so you deserve the glory. We just give it to you because it's yours. If we didn't worship, even the rocks would cry out. And then... Um, and then we give him thanks for, for what he has done for us as well. He sent us, he made us. He sent his son for us. He redeemed us. He, he loves upon us. Um, a lady came to me before the meeting, and I would prayed for her a couple of weeks ago, and God had answered the prayers. He, he does that. He answers our prayers. He, he hears our, our cries to him, and he delivers us, and so we, we give him thanks. And then as we worshiping him, what's happening is, this little picture I want you guys to see, is we're opening our hearts up like this to God. And God is, is continually pouring out his abundant life to his people. That's what he's doing. Like, it's not like God chooses, like, okay, there's, there's Dylan. Let me just release some to Dylan like this. It's just, it's just God is. It just, it just emanates from him all the time. Like it's just going like this, like a flow of the abundant life of God. And when we come and worship, we open ourselves up in that space, and it just flows into us. And it fills us like a garden that's been impacted by the sun and by the rain so that we begin to bear fruit. And the fragrance of the flowers comes off us as a fragrant offering back to God again. But when we're, when we're not true worshippers, what we're doing when we, when we haven't been born again, and we can't see God, and we can't see the kingdom that, um, that He's bringing, we end up stealing that glory that's His and, and ascribing it to somebody or something else. We give it to these gods that are no gods at all, the demons behind the idols, or to ourselves. When so much of our worship goes our way, and when that happens, we reap. We open ourselves up to another flow, but it's not the flow of life; it's the flow of death. In John ten ten, Jesus says, "I'm the good shepherd, and I've come to give you life, and life more abundantly." This is this is so that we our, our sense of identity, our sense of belonging. Our sense of purpose and meaning is like that, that expression just flows into us. But the thief comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. And when we, when we open our lives up to something other than to God, we reap this. And, uh, and those on that path on the way to eternal death. And Jesus is drawing, us. he wants us to come over. Like, like um, in, in the, one of the gospels that says that at the time when the they were gathering around Jesus because, because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And it says that many were crossing over. That's what it says in the scripture. And many, God wants to cross over. The thing is, though, for us, and we've spoken about this for the last few weeks, about our false worship, is we can worship wrongly as well. It's not our place. It's not our destiny. We will still have eternal life. But we can worship idols. And we can worship ourselves. And we can worship in all the wrong places. And when we do, we draw death. Not eternal death but we draw destruction in our marriages, destruction in our parenting, destruction in our finances, destruction in our health. It's not what God wants for us and what He intends for us. He's saying, turn your worship from there to here that you might draw down life. Oh my goodness. i gonna just say this. It's the Holy Spirit that, that enables us to interact God the Spirit. And so we know this because the Spirit of God is inside of us. And so there's this interaction that goes on between us and God that, humanly speaking, we can't interact with Him. In Romans 8, 16, it says, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Galatians 4, 6 similarly says, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so it's a spirit in us that links us and connects us to God. And so whenever we worship, whether it's on a Sunday or or you worship on your own on a Monday, um, on your way to work in the car, the the fueling of that worship experience is the Holy Spirit at work in us. And uh, there's an invitation that has been given in this passage where Jesus says to her and to us that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. And the invitation is, first of all, to allow the spirit by which we are born again to be at work in us. It's one of the reasons why whenever we pray before the meeting, on a Sunday morning, we say, Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way. This is what we've prepared, but you can do whatever you want but We want you to have your way. That's why sometimes when you come here, you go, Like, I can, people will say things like, I sense the presence of God, or I feel the Spirit present here. He needs to be present, otherwise, our worship does not connect with God. That, that, He actually is a catalyst that enables that. And so, at least in part, what Jesus is saying is that the, the kind of worship that He wants is a worship that's anointed. By the Holy Spirit. And I've been, in, I've been in services where there's just been, like for whatever reason, just no anointing. And, and I'll speak next week about the form of worship because that's, that must come secondary to this thing here. But there have been some meetings where the people that are leading the meeting do not love Jesus. I, I'm telling you in the meeting that you can argue with me, whatever. You weren't there. They 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 did not love Jesus. Their desire was not to exalt Him, to glorify Him. And so when we came into that meeting, there was no sense. We were going, we were literally, Isaiah 58, going through the motions. There were two, anyway, I don't want to go into that. But also, um, and John Piper says this. He says, uh, where is this? He says, true worship can only come from spirits made alive and sensitive by the quickening of the Spirit. And so clearly the Holy Spirit is in mind here. But you'll see in your Bibles, um, in the, when the scriptures is there, it, it doesn't have spirit there in a capital S. It says spirit and truth. It's got a small S there. And there is at least this idea that there is um, there's this head, heart, sincerity that Jesus is talking about. That it's, it's not got to do with externals, but actually how are we worshiping God here. We sang about it this morning. I, I lift you high with my head. I lift you high with my heart. And so, as someone once said, there needs to be true doctrine. Like we, like we actually are, know the God that we worship, that, that what we sing about Him, what we declare about Him is true. There's no point declaring praises, but it's not true. It must be true. and It must be true as it comes from us. But it must also be um, from our spirit. In um, Hebrews 4.12 it says this, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And, I, and I, I read this because here comes a sword, and it divides between soul and spirit. And that part that Billy Graham says, like, like are, we need to be born again so that our spirits can be brought to life. The, the Spirit of God is dead in us when we separate from Christ, and then He comes up. And so the New Testament, why don't you put this next quote up, um, use of the word pneuma, which is the word that is in the Scripture here for spirit, says... Um, humor for the human spirit, focus on the spiritual aspect of man, his life in relation to God, where a psyche refers to man's life irrespective of his spiritual experience, i.e. his life in relation to himself and his emotions and his thought. And so you can walk into this hall and the lights can be down and the worship team can be pumping and, uh, and the, the, the bass is boom, 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 boom in your heart like this. And you're thinking from a psyche, you're thinking, wow, there is something special in this place, and what you're feeling is special music. But only the person that is born again, only the person whose spirit has been made alive, can worship God in spirit and in truth. So that what flows through us comes from our deepest, um, the deepest parts of ourselves, and so true worship flows from our recreated spirit and our redeemed soul. And when we come to God as born-again sons and daughters whose spirits have been brought to life. We suddenly get to see with our spiritual eyes. We get to hear with our spiritual ears. We get to taste with our spiritual mouths. And our, our hearts that were hard have been softened through the circumcision work of the Holy Spirit as He's cut away the parts of our heart that make it difficult for us to interact and to see and to love God. The Spirit Himself communes deep within us. Like When we worship in the Spirit of God, is at work. In our spirits, and from that place, overflows the praise that comes to God. It's not about externals. It's a radical invitation for us to come worship God with all of ourselves, totally devoted, completely sold out. When when you come together on a Sunday, I was I was thinking about this um, a moment ago. Like like when we come in on a Sunday, what, what what is happening is we are opening ourselves up that He may come and. Pour his life in so that we may open ourselves up more so that he may pour his life in. It's a little bit like going to gym. The first time you go, and you, you don't want to overdo it, man. Like Who's done that? you go gone to gym, and the next day you can't walk, and then you never go to gym again. So you always, you always use the little girly weights the first time you go. Do it in private so people won't mock you, and you just lift these little like, little water bottles like this. And then you're not dead the next day. And then you go back to gym. And then slowly you start, and then eventually you're lifting weights like Dylan's lifting. I mean, like manly, big, huge weights like this. You know? um, and sometimes we come and worship to God. And like, like God, I, I, I can't open myself up the way that Rob's speaking about completely, but I can open up some. And then the next time you come, there's more. And there's more, and it's deeper, and then your own personal worship life becomes deeper and stronger. And and the, and there's no depth. We, we'll, we'll, it's not like you're oh well. Once I've got there, what else do I do? No, it's there's you cannot get to the depths, the the the, the infinite depths of who God is. Won't the worship team come up? Won't you play the second video? And then we're gonna worship after this.
1: This Messiah you speak of, I am He. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity, who was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage, and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges, and to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market,
2: Everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ.
1: (laughs) Hey,
0: wait.
1: (laughs) Your water, you forgot your um.
0: Papa, you're You You told me
1: everything
2: I ever did. Rabbi, we got food. What would you like?
1: Ah. I have food to eat that you do not know about.
2: Who got you food?